Hi, this is Reverend Tommy, and I'd like to welcome you back to the garden where we explore the big questions about life. I invite you to open your minds and be receptive to seeing things differently. So let's get metaphysical. Today's lesson, I want to uh, personally begin a series undertaking some fundamental theological and philosophical questions that are at the center of all religions and all spiritual paths. The difference, of course, is that I will be presenting them from the perspective of unity metaphysics. In other words, what is unity's take on these questions? The idea is to inform you, make sure that you're well informed about these fundamental concepts because if somebody asks you, well, what does unity say about this? Then you'll have something to say. The Master Jesus admonished us to go out forth and be good disciples, to be teachers. But if you don't have a good grasp on the subject matter, well, it's a little bit difficult to be a good teacher. So that's what this is all about. So I will be talking about various subjects. Today's subject is lesson one and is called, What is God? I thought I'd start with something simple, you know. Uh, from there, you know, it's like, it's easy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the first thing to, to note about, about the, the title of the lesson, What is God?, is to make the distinction that I'm not saying, who is God? I am saying, what is God? And we're going to talk about that. When I told my brother about this lesson I was going to do, he, he's been studying with Jehovah's Witnesses lately. And he tell, and the first thing he says, like, you do mean who is God, right? I said, no, I actually mean what is God. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, if you've been in unity for a while, you kind of get this distinction between who and what. If you're fairly new, then maybe it's kind of new to you, and it's a good thing we go over this lesson. See, one of the things we teach here at unity, or that we understand, is that a lot of what we understand spiritual-wise is kind of upside down. And this became very clear to me, as I've said before, and it bears repeating, the first time I saw that statement that says we're not uh, humans seeking a spiritual experience, that we are spirits having a human experience. And I said, that just tells me everything I need to know. That exactly explains that we are upside down in things. Let me try to rephrase that. I thought, how can I rephrase that word, that 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 quote, that statement. By the way, it's by Pierre Teilhard. If you don't know, I didn't know that. Let me, I would rephrase it this way. I am not this body trying to find an answer to life, which I really hope is beyond this apparent reality. In other words, that I live on. It's saying, instead, I am, a, I am this indefinable something, a soul, a consciousness, a being, something whose reality is transcendental in nature and has always existed. And I am here in this world by choice for the sake of having this experience in this world of form. That is what that is saying, in other words. Now, two questions about this. First, is it strange? To you, it's probably not strange. But if you tell somebody else who's in a traditional setting... It probably is strange to them, but not to us. And the second is, is this something radical 
for unity? Is it so different for unity? Did we make this up? And the answer is no. 2,000 years ago, a prophet said, I am in this world, but not of this world. Now, we all know who that was, Jesus. He was saying, and how does that differ from what I just said? It doesn't differ. It's exactly the same statement. Now, imagine if we, if we really believed this, really, that, that we are this transcendental something that just simply inhabits this body for the sake of having this opportunity to express ourselves in this world of form. If we really, really understood that, I think it would change everything, wouldn't it? It would make this life, instead of a one-time, one-shot opportunity to get things right, as we've been told, you got one shot at this, we just say, well, it's just another opportunity to have this experience. See, here's the root. Hold on. This upside-down way of seeing things extends into our understanding of God as well. Here's the root problem with our understanding of God. Man has created God in our image. Now, where did we get this idea from? I think I told you last time and during our lesson, during my last lesson, that it was kind of the pre-existing understanding of things from the Zoroasterism and, and things of that, and it just got picked up. And it's, the reason it's very odd, because the very book that we use, the Bible says exactly the opposite. It says it is we who are created in God's image, not God in our image. So there we are. We're upside down again. So what does it mean to say that God is not like us? Well, it means that God doesn't get mad. It means God isn't vengeful. It means God isn't judgmental. And here's another one that maybe you've heard and have not heard, But it's very odd, if you have not. God neither punishes nor rewards. Yikes. That one really goes against everything we've ever been told. It completely goes against it. But but it's there in the Bible. It says, the Father judges no one, it says. All judgment is left to the Son. Of course, that brings up the question, well, who's the Son? And that's a theme for another lesson. I'm not going to get into that right now, okay? So, on top of all that, there's the big traditional problem. Big traditional problem. And that is that God needed a sacrifice to be, um, to be appeased, to make things right with, with, with man. He needed a sacrifice. Now, there's a couple of really major theological problems with this. And in case you're not clear, you are in class theology 101, just to be sure about that. You know, and this is the first of many, okay? I love this stuff. <laughs> Two major problems, theological problems. The first is that God is capable of being mad. That's a strange idea, if you think of it. And the second is that God needed something. Because if God needed something, then by definition, he's incomplete. Does that make sense to anybody? It doesn't make any sense to me. Then why do we accept accept these things? 
And here's the thing. It doesn't make any sense, especially to younger people. And something that we've talked about in the past, that we'd like to bring in some younger people. But the, the thing with the younger people, and, and talk back to my brother's conversation, you know, he, he tries to explain to his high school senior son, you know, uh, Christianity from the Jehovah Witness perspective, and, and the guy just tells him, Dad, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. And of course it doesn't. I told my brother, it's because it doesn't make any sense to me either, Ben. <laughs> you know? Gosh, of course it doesn't make any sense to me. Here's the thing. Theologically, we have got to decide whether God is incomplete or complete and go with one or the other because you can't have both. What does the Bible say? I've said it before. The Bible says, a fountain cannot pour forth both sweet and bitter water. Can't do it. It's one way or the other. So God is either complete or God is not complete. Make up your mind. Okay, so let me bring up another idea about God, the description of God that's pretty common, that is also misleading. And that is that God is the supreme being. I mean, it sounds like a step in the right direction, right? The supreme being. But, but what's the problem in describing God as the supreme being? The problem is that to describe God in any way, in any way, is in itself a limiting thing. You are placing limits on it. Wayne Dyer says this about, about judgment. He says, when you judge another, you don't define them. You define yourself. So you see, when you define or try to define God, you're not defining God. You are defining your understanding of God, your limitation of the understanding that you have of God. What is that saying? If monkeys could, could create a, a God, it would be a monkey. If dogs could, it would be a dog. And guess what? If man could and does, it would be a man. And that's what we've done. We've created a God that is like us, a man. So another problem with this, is, of course, is not only are defining it, you're placing it somewhere, like God is somewhere. He occupies some sort of definitive little space. Some, you know, my, boy, my brother, his ears must be, you know, they must be burning by now because, you know, what, one time we had this conversation with him and he asked, you mean you don't think Jesus is God? And I'm like, eesh, okay. We have to sit down about this, Ben. It's going to take a while, but uh, we'll get around to that one of these days. Anyway, one of, the big, one of the big differences in unity is that we make it a point of saying and teaching that God is not a being of any sorts, supreme or otherwise. That's very important. Now, if you look up God in the revealing word, there's a whole lot of things. But there's one that says, God is not person. God is principle. That's very important. Here's an, I know I've said there's quite a few problems with this, and there are, but here's a really big one. And it became apparent to me recently in one of Reverend uh, Doug's blogs. He says that that idea of God being something, a being, whatever, he says, it's 
the fundamental problem with that, now think about this, is that it is based on a paradigm of separation, right? Because I am here, God is there. You think about it, even when you get to heaven, see, you're still you and God is still God. There is that whole separation idea. And that is completely contrary to what unity teaches because we teach oneness, a paradigm of oneness. That God is one in infinite variation. That's very, very interesting. That's a great paradox. Okay, so let's go over some of these little fun facts about God that we understand so we can start getting some idea of it. We all learned in Sunday school that, that, school that God is omnipotent, God is omniscient, and God is omnipresent. This means he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere present. All-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. Okay, since I've been using simple logic 101, let me use that simple logic 101 for this statement. If God is all-powerful, everywhere present, and all-knowing, then the question of this lesson should not be, what is God? The question should be, what is not God? Wouldn't you say? Of course. In, in unity, we say one thing. There is no spot where God is not. I have it up on the marquee. I think it's time to change it. And if I make it over here on Wednesday, maybe I'll make that change. But precisely because of that, God is everywhere. So what is not God then? So if God is everywhere, and this is what we at New, in New Thought Unity teach, if God is everywhere, all-powerful, all-knowing, then how is it possible that we are separate from God, that we can be separate from God? How is such a thing possible? And the simple answer is, it's not possible. But of course, we understand that, well, it's possible for us to think that we're separate, and I think that's the distinction between unity and new thought and tradition is that we've come to the understanding that it's not possible to truly be separate, but it is possible to believe it because of free will and choices and stuff. And that's what we get. So the idea of God being everywhere, and I brought this up last time, and I think it's really interesting and very fun, actually. What are the ramifications? If God is everywhere. Psalm 139. What does it say? If... If I, if I make my bed in heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. So God is everywhere. I think it's very interesting, actually, because I was thinking, well, let's just say on the chance that we are mistaken about this, and somehow I end up in hell or you end up in hell. Hey, not a problem, because the bro is there, too. I think that's kind of odd and kind of awesome because if you're real lucky, maybe you'll get the bunk next to him, you know? And then you've got all of eternity to say, yeah, but what about this one thing? And I'm like, anyway, <laughs> so it's good. So we need to start changing our idea of God. And, and that's what unity is talking about. And of course, step one, as I said, it's to stop thinking of God as a being. Now, I came across this one time, and it was helpful to me, and maybe it'll be helpful to you. 
what I just described God as, the attributes before, omniscient, omnipotent, all that kind of stuff, listen to it this way. Slight modification, but it does change. It says, God is not omnipotent. God is omnipotence. God is not omniscient. God is omniscience. God is not omnipresent. God is omnipresence. You see how that changes? It changes everything. Because what it is saying is that God is not a being with these attributes. God is these attributes. And, and, I, and I added a few more in, in, your, in your thoughts to ponder thing. Uh, I added a few more about God is compassion. God is all these things. So take those things next time you meditate and, and, and just kind of ponder on them. And, and maybe they'll help you to start changing your perspective about God from a being to this allness of, of what it is. Now, there's another step that we need to do to try to change our idea of God. And we can use the classic uh, affirmations and denials that we use in unity to, to, to do this. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to do a, a, just a short little thing. Look at your flyer. Look at the front page. What do you see? God, right? That's what he looks like? <laughs> That's why I put it there. That's God. Awesome, dude. Anyway, uh, here's what I want you to do now. Close your eyes for just a split second. I want you to search your subconscious mind, and I want you to find that image of God that you have in your subconscious mind. And as soon as you do, I want you to right-click it and delete. All right? Right-click, delete. Thank you very much. That image is gone. <laughs> so now we can start with trying to get a new image. Well, it's not an image because, again, if it's an image, it's restrictive again. But um, I think we get the idea that, that that image of God comes from a mindset, from a race consciousness from a long time ago. This is what people understood. They had a very limited understanding of the universe, for example. And, and, and we have a completely different understanding of the universe. And so we can try this small little lesson, exercise, if you will, just to try to put things in perspective. I love cosmology. I, I love uh, the universe. I love all that stuff. I know Kelly does too. <laughs> anyway, uh, I want you to think about light for a second. And no coincidence, but yeah, a second. Light travels 186,000 miles per second. You know how fast that is? That is seven and a half times around the earth in a second. 1,000, 2,000 ago. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like that. That fast per second. Now, at that travel, at that speed, the, the light that we are receiving right now from the furthermost galaxies that we can see, that light has been traveling for 14 and a half billion years at that speed. Now think about that. That's what we conceive now as our universe. And if that doesn't kind of boggle your mind, I'm not sure what will, except that 
on top of everything else, now they're talking about parallel universes. So now, so now you have to try to imagine, okay, where is God in all this? God is in all of this somehow, some way. So now I ask you, try to define God now from that perspective. You think you can? Of course not. It is just infinite. It is, I think it's, a, it's just a beautiful, beautiful concept. But the point is this, when it comes to our life, is that life is an endless journey, and I think we have talked about that before. It is an endless, endless journey. And, and it's not so much that it is expanding, it's that we are expanding in our understanding of this journey. I want to make a couple of uh, final points about this. I don't want this uh, incomprehensiveness of, the, of God to deter you from being positive, obviously, because I can see that that makes uh, the idea of God somewhat impersonal because you say, well, if it's that huge, where do I fit into this? This tiny little speck of dust or whatever it is that I am. And here's the thing. I'm going to ask Laura because she's one of my good students, Laura. Right? I'm going to ask you a question. Is God impersonal or is God personal? What's the answer? Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I've come up with a whole little series of things. Is this, is this this way or is this that way? And the answer is yes, it is. How does this work? How is God both impersonal and personal? Well, God is impersonal in the sense that it is principle, as I said earlier. Well, what does that mean? Well, principle is like electricity, let's say, or gravity. Uh, it works. It doesn't matter who. You know, if, if the Pope jumps off the building or, or, or uh, Jeffrey Dahmer or whatever his name was jumps off the building, same things apply. Straight down. That's just the way it works. That's the impersonal nature of it, of principle. And it's very clear in the Bible, actually. It says that, that and I'm paraphrasing, that God brings forth rain and sun to the just and the unjust. It is saying that there is an impersonal aspect of God involved. But there's also a personal aspect of God involved, too. That's the beauty of this. See, when Jesus talked to, to God, he referred to him as Abba. Do you know what Abba means in Aramaic? Have you heard that? Like papi, daddy. It's like a child would talk to his uh, parent. It's that kind of a person, that kind of a, a personalness, if you will. No, that's what Abba means. So he was saying, yes, there is this vastness. There's this thing that it's incomprehensible what God yet is. Yet, at the same time, it is personal. It is personal to each and every one of us. It's like, wow, <laughs> this is strange. So while we cannot fully grasp all that is God, we can grasp parts of it. We can, and we can experience them. And that's why I played that song, because when you experience even a part of God, 
then you really experience in a way the totality of God. Because, you know, we understand that God exists everywhere in its entirety. In its entirety. So, as they say, the force that moves universes is the same force that beats in your heart. That is a phenomenal concept. It really is. That that's, it's just right here, just as much as it's out there. So, lately, I've really, and I've really started doing it. I was in the hospital the other day, and, <laughs> and uh, I've started just to really, and I said this last time, and I'm going to keep harping on it because I need the reminder, and I think maybe you do too. You know, Jesus said, when asking, you know, where is the kingdom? They said, the kingdom is right here. What do you mean, where is the kingdom? You know, and what, is he, what was he saying by saying that? He was saying that it's in your consciousness. Whether It's a question of whether you can see it or not. It's not a matter of waiting till you die or some future point or that you're going to develop to a certain level of spiritual understanding before you can see heaven. He was saying heaven is everywhere, everywhere present, here in the moment. And so what I want you to do and what I want to leave you today with is that. I want you to always practice every time you see a beautiful sunset, you hear a beautiful song, somebody smiles at you, somebody gives you something just out of nowhere, a gift, anything. I want you to stop for that moment, as I said before, and just say, this is heaven. This, this is the kingdom of God right here before me. And, and just soak it in that way. Take it for what it is, whether it's a breeze or a sunset, a kind word, anything. And when you do that, you will have the answer to the question, what is God? You will know what it is right then and there. Amen. Mm-mm.